Sure, I'm happy that you are joining us today. I pray that you've been blessed by the worship experience. I have this word that I'm burning to deliver, especially about, it's about the relationship between men and women and what God is calling uh, us to do as we, as we move that relationship towards redemption. So let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you pour out your spirit, help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is open to transformation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have been with us for a while, you know that this is, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Greater Things. I'm contending that God wants to do greater things through you and through me and us together, even in the midst of a difficult pandemic. And we're working through the book of Acts, and the passage comes here out of chapter 18 of Acts. Just one verse I want to read. I'm going to work my way back to by the time we get into this teaching message. It says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. There's the reading. Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he reminds us in the opening pages of the book of Acts that Jesus' departing words is really uh, an act of commissioning both men and women when he says, uh, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the world. One of the ways that the early church uh, after the resurrection of Jesus uh, offered a testimony to the significance of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and to the power of his remarkable capacity to love is through the message that the early church delivered to women and to girls scattered throughout the Greco-Roman world in those ancient days. I was looking for a way to summarize the power of that message as women and girls would have heard it in that first century uh, that, that was so revolutionary that it caused women to join the church in overwhelming numbers. And I ran across uh, this on the Facebook, and it simply said, you are essential. And the message, I said, that's it. That is the message of the gospel that the women of the first century church heard across the Greco-Roman and it was a powerful, revolutionary message. It is still a powerful, revolutionary message for women to hear all across the country and the world as you watch me today. You are essential. See, the message of the gospel is that, that, uh, that you are known and seen and loved by God and that you are so dear to his heart, so indispensable inside of the context of his love and his plan that he sent his son to give up his life on the cross to redeem you so that God could, could work in and through your life, through the greatness of your life, to do great things in the world. It was a revolutionary message then. It is a revolutionary message now. You may ask, well, what, what made it so revolutionary? Well, when I note the words, you are essential, I, I just have to guess that it resonates with so many who are sheltered in place and struggling through this pandemic. 
Uh, there's this big debate going on about essential workers and non-essential workers. And there's so many of you who have been deemed essential workers, and yet you're being treated as though you're non-essential workers. And, and oftentimes, uh, the folk who fit that definition happens to be women. That's exactly how the women in the early Greco world felt prior to the birth of Jesus and the birth of the church. They felt non-essential. Let me give you some examples. Uh, a recent Jewish scholar unearthed a blessing that used to be prayed by the Jewish community in the first century. <laughs> the Jewish community rejects this blessing now as is appropriate, but this is what was prayed then. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. As a matter of fact, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, the folk of that world, particularly in Rome, they practice the practice of exposure. Exposure is that when a child is born, you have eight days to decide whether you're going to keep that child or discard that child, abandon them off in the woods somewhere. And one of the categories that help you make the decision is if the child is born a girl. If the child is born a girl, it's encoded in the, wall, in the Roman law at that point that you could discard them under most circumstances. It's incredible. Listen to this, 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 what was supposed to be a love letter sent from this first century writer, obviously a soldier writing back to his wife who's pregnant. Listen to what he writes. I ask and beg of you to take good care of our baby son, he says. If you are delivered of a child before I come home, if it is a boy, keep it. If a girl, discard it. The message was just resounding then. And in, other, in many places across the world, in some places in this country, it's a resounding message now that if you are a woman, you are non-essential. You are disposable. And yet, when Jesus showed up, he unleashed a revolution with the gospel and the message of the gospel to women and to all people that you are loved and known and seen and essential. So much so that I'd give my life for you. And so when, uh, and so you may be asking, well, why are you, what's the big deal? Why are you talking about this now? Well, we live in a world where the revolution that the church, and the church actually unleashed this revolution following Jesus back in the first century, although we haven't always lived up to it over the centuries, but we unleashed it. Uh, that today, there's a huge discussion happening about what needs to take place to make sure that women are honored and respected in the same way that men are. It's the right discussion. What needs to take place to make sure that women have the same career opportunity and pay as men? Right discussion. Women are standing up saying we're going to gain, take control over our bodies and of our lives. We're not going to allow ourselves to be treated as disposable property of powerful and wealthy men. Appropriate action. And yet... Uh, the history of oppression uh, tied into this, the, the hustle and tussle for repositioning between the men and women has led to the relationships between men and women in the midst of everything being redefined has been tremendously strained. In many relationships, uh, it's all about, it's, there's this huge strain, at least with the hint of distrust 
and kind of blame and acquisition. In other quarters, uh, between men and women, it's just the relationship has been totally demolished. Demolished. All they've got between them is total distrust, lots of anger, lots of acquisition back and forth. Some of you are living it out in your homes right now. And some of you are experiencing in your workplace, men and women, this distrust. So Luke has a word for us guys about how we can help move the relationship with women towards redemption by how we view and treat them. But he's also got a word for you ladies, so you guys make sure you hang in here to the, towards the end of this message about how you can help move the relationship with men towards redemption based on how you view and how you treat men. Now let's see what Luke teaches. I want to do a little Bible study here. I just, uh, he wrote both Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and Acts. So let's just, let's just walk through the Scriptures and see how Luke, seeking to faithfully share the account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the power of the Gospel, how he does it in such a way that pounds away at the message that women, wherever you are, that you are essential, that you are loved, seen, known, and a uniquely, uh, an indispensable part of God's plan and work in the world. He starts in chapter one of the gospel. Listen, look, quick insight. The first three chapters in the gospel of Luke is about John the Baptist and Jesus. In Luke's mind, John the Baptist is the second most important a character in the gospel next to Jesus because John the Baptist is going to pave the way. Matter of fact, if you count up all the verses in those first three chapters, way more verses about John the Baptist than there are about Jesus. So John the Baptist is a big deal. Can you say big deal? He's a big deal. And so, of course, when Luke talks about the birth of John the Baptist, he's going to talk about his parents. And you would expect in the uniquely Jewish tradition in this sense that you talk about how the, the legacy, the spiritual legacy and promise that comes to John the Baptist comes down through the lineage of the father. And of course, that's where he starts. He starts in verse 5. He tells us that Zechariah is part of the, of the priestly line that traces itself back to Abijah. But then he blows the mind. If everybody's reading the text, he says, oh, by the way, his mama is important also when it comes to spiritual legacy and, and identity. He says, as a matter of fact, she's part of a priestly line that dates itself all the way back to Aaron, the brother of Moses, the very first priest. And in so pointing this out, Luke is modeling for us and challenging those of us who are men who would be Jesus followers, empowered to be his witnesses. He's essentially saying, look, don't just focus on your own identity and how important you are in the world. Make sure you're using your power and your influence to elevate and to point out the identity of the women and the girls in your life. Make sure that you're saying to them, your daughters, your siblings, come on now, the colleagues that you work with, the folk who report to you, that you are reinforcing that God made them to be special also. And that their identity is unique in the eyesight of God and in the world. There's a wonderful story told about a CEO. He and his wife are driving through a couple of states en route to a vacation spot. 
he pulls over to get some gas. Back in the 70s when they used to have uh, gas station attendants who, who would, who would uh, fill the car with gas. So he went to, into the store and the gas uh, station attendant started filling the car. When the CEO came out, he saw his wife was talking to the attendant and, and uh, they carried on a quite a long conversation. After the wife rejoined him in the car and as they drove away, uh, in response to his question, she said, well, she used to date the guy. So the CEO smiles with a kind of smirk and grin and says, well, I'm sure you're happy you're married to me because if you hadn't married him, you would have been married to a gas station uh, person rather than the CEO. The wife doesn't miss a beat. She says, no, 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 no. You are happy that I married you. See, had I married him, he would have been the CEO and you would have been the gas station attending. <laughs> Interesting, powerful, right? But here, well, here's what I tell my daughter. You don't just make CEOs, baby. You can be a CEO. That's following the lead of, 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 of Luke as he teaches us in Scripture that, that we who are men and Jesus followers, that we have the responsibility to reinforce the power of who God made the women and the girls and the grandkids in our lives to be. And then he moves on and talks about the birth of Jesus. And if you know anything about the Gospels, you know that Matthew talks about the birth of Jesus through the lens of Joseph, the man, which is quite appropriate. But Luke says that in order to make sure that you have a complete witness to the birth of Jesus, he decides to tell it through the lens of the woman. And, and, and those who are reading the Gospel uh, in the ancient world, they are shocked when they, 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 they find out that the angel from the Lord shows up in this place called Nazareth and he says to this young woman, uh, greetings, you who are favored by God. And Luke is hoping that the, that the women everywhere, then and now that read this text, that they could hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit say, greetings, you are favored by God a powerful thing. And part of what he's saying to me, I think if he was here today, he'd say, hey guys, listen, I, I, I'm pointing this out because if Jesus, if God would entrust the savior of the world to be born through a woman with, by the way, with no help of the God, then surely God is prepared to entrust dreams, dreams that allow Women to, come on now, to, to, to revolutionize education and business and arts and sports. Surely the, the womb of their imagination can give birth to those kind of dreams. And as Jesus follows, we men, we ought to nurture those dreams in the women in our lives. Call those dreams forth. Challenge our women, the women that we love, to dream big and powerful and great dreams. And be all that God has made them to be. And then he moves on. He talks about that eight. And this is all in the first couple of chapters of Luke. <laughs> when Jesus reaches eight days old, he's taken into the temple to be dedicated, right? And Luke points out that it is appropriate that Simeon, a guy who's, again, uh, part of the kind of prophet tradition, who God has said to Simeon, listen, you won't die until you see the Messiah. And, and Simeon uh, comes across and sees Jesus the baby and, he, and he, he celebrates the fact that this is the Messiah. 
But Luke says the witness is not complete without a woman. And he reminds us that, that while Simeon actually went to the temple, that was another woman. He refers to her old in age, right? And he's not dissing elderly people. He's talking about something that is implicit in the fact that she was of older age, right? He says that she was married for seven years. She was a widow uh, up until 80. Uh, uh, after seven years, she became a widow up to the age of, of uh, I think, 82 and what he's pointing, she lived in the temple. He says she fasted and she prayed all the time. And, and then he says, right while Simeon is talking, Anna shows up and she too, and he calls her a prophet. And she too affirms that this is the Messiah. But what he's really calling out in Anna's life, listen, is her faithfulness over 82 years. And, 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 and when he talks about her faithfulness, at the heart of her faithfulness, listen, is her tenacity to hold on to the promise of God, to pursue what God has for her life until the promise is fulfilled. Tenacity. We men who are Jesus followers should be empowered by the Holy Spirit to celebrate the tenacity in the lives of the women and the girls, to call that tenacity forth, to, 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 to celebrate the, 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 the no-quit spirit. I know um, uh, one of my favorite stories about a woman demonstrating tenacity and no-quit spirit is Thomas Edison's mom. Some of you may have heard her name is Nancy Elliott Edison. And her son, Thomas, who became one of the greatest inventors in the, in the history of the world, uh, had ADHD as a kid. And in that classical style of education, they couldn't educate him. So the headmaster sent him home with a little note. And he told Thomas, don't read it. Get to give it to your mom. She'll, she'll take it. So he got the note to his mom and gave it to her. And she read it. Her eyes filled with tears. And Thomas said, what is it, mom? She smiled and she said, the headmaster wrote these words. He, he wrote this note saying that your son is a genius and we don't have the resources to educate him. Keep him and teach him yourself. And so with all the tenacity that she can muster, she was a former school teacher. She found a way to educate this young man when no one else could do it. And ultimately he becomes the genius inventor that history knows him to be, her tenacity. After her death, he's going through her papers, history tells us, and he comes across the note. And he reads what the note actually said. The note actually says is that your son, Thomas, uh, is an adult, which is a word, old word that meant mentally ill, and we can't educate him. You keep him home. And Thomas, after crying a couple of hours, he writes this uh, remarkable thing. He, he writes it and says, Thomas A. Edison was an adult child that by a hero mother became the genius of the century. Tenacity. A don't quit spirit. God calls us who are Jesus followers to call that forth in the women and the girls in our lives. I love chapter 13, what he does there. Uh, he talks about this woman, Luke does, that's bent over. He reminds us, he says, she was, had been touched by an evil spirit that had been over. It's just as a reminder to me, oftentimes, of how we, I say we, not you, but we men have touched women, used our authority and our power through the, main, the mind games we have played, the, the, the abuse that we have, have put out. And, and we, we, our touch has left women bent over, shame and, and all kinds of woundedness. 
But Luke would say, watch what Jesus does. Watch how Jesus uses his authority. He, he walks in and he sees this woman back in the corner. And the text says he calls her out in front of everybody. And then he touches her right there and, and, and she stands up. What a powerful thing. What a powerful demonstration. He says that those of us who are Jesus followers, we should be calling women to step forward, to step forward into the front, to, to lift their voice, to, 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 to raise their hand speak out in the classroom, speak out in the boardroom, speak out in whatever meeting that they're in. Call them forth and touch them in such a way that we leave them standing up, that we make sure that the women in our lives have standing both in their home and in the world. One of the most exciting moments for me after pastoring at Roxbury Presbyterian Church, and listen, it's a Presbyterian Church that we believe in ordaining uh, men and women as a matter of fact, we've set this church up. So we, I've got men and women on the board. Women is functioning all the way through. Uh, see, I see part, is my, part of my responsibility to make sure that women have standing right alongside of us. And one of the most exciting moments of my life was when a daughter of mine that I had helped to uh, speak into her life over the years, when she succeeded me as the senior pastor of Roxbury Presbyterian Church, and she's taking it to new heights. You see, it's our responsibility, those of us who have power and authority, to make sure that the women in our lives have standing. And then, let me hasten towards the conclusion to get back to this verse 18 that I pointed out, chapter 18. Listen, notice what he does. These are just a few examples. And Luke, you ought to just go back and read through this with this lens. Notice what he does in Acts when Luke starts telling the story of the birth of the early church, bearing witness to Jesus, check it out. In verse 14, chapter 1, he says, it's not just the guys who's up in the upper room praying. He says, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the women that they are there too. In the next verse, uh, he points out the word is Adelpha, who's a, a Greek word that is often translated brethren, but better believers, brothers and sisters. So if you read it in NIV, starting there and every other chapter all the way to the end, you hear this refrain, brothers and sisters, as Luke points out that the church is always at its best when it's men and women working together. And then in chapter 2, one of my favorite passages, the Holy Spirit comes. Guys, you've been with me. You remember us teaching on that. And folks start speaking in other tongues. And Peter gets up and he preaches his first message. And he says to those who would listen, and if you can just hear a teenage girl reading this text in ancient Greco-Roman world, you can feel the power of it. He stands up and he says to them, Listen, this has been God's plan all along. A thousand years ago, he raised up a prophet called Joel. And that prophet said that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Watch this. And your sons and your daughters shall be filled with the spirit and shall prophesy. Look at that. There's, there's no distinction. I, I, I get great delight in reading that text because I have a son and I have a daughter. And it's, it's, it's a joy for me to know that both my boy and my girl, that both of them have access to all of the power that comes through God's Holy Spirit to empower their lives to be witnesses for him in the world. They're both Eastern Jews. And then, of course, Luke goes on, and I told you last week about the woman who really provided the house, Mary, the mother of John Mark, in chapter 12. And then in chapter 16, you read about uh, Lydia, who is a businesswoman who, who sells uh, expensive uh, 
merchandise, as the text says, these fine purple linen, and, and, and she and her household gets baptized, right? And then later on, you read about in the same chapter, a jailer, once Paul and Silas have been uh, miraculously delivered from prison, the jailer, it says that he and his household are baptized. She and her household baptized. He and his household baptized. Same time. What is the, what's the word of the Holy Spirit is saying through Luke? He's saying, listen, to all of you single moms who are leading your own household, stop bowing your head in shame and in guilt. Lift up your head. God wants to do great things through you and your household just like he wants to do through every other household. Then we get to chapter 18. Now, this wonderful couple introduced in verse 1 as, uh, as uh, Aquila from Italy and his wife Priscilla. You would expect the, the man to be named first. And yet, as we begin to, talk, to, to read further in the chapter, we understand, we see that for the next several times that Paul talks about them, the name of the woman, Priscilla, comes first, then Aquila. Well, let me make two really quick points here as I hasten towards my conclusion. First of all, this couple is the flip side of the coin of the Ananias and Sapphira couple that you find in chapter 5. And go back and read it if you haven't had a chance to read it, and you'll find that that husband and wife reminds us that at the end of the day, that men and women are equal equally sinners before the Lord and that, and that, and that, and that, and that we, we, we have the capacity to conspire to try to manipulate God and that we all have to be careful other, other, otherwise we can run into the judgment of God. That's what chapter 5 is about. It's about men and women misusing the gift that comes with their togetherness. But chapter 18, Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila, it's a total different the other side of the coin. We see men and women working together to further the purposes of God. Now, this is insight. There's a literary thing that they use that Luke was using here. To demonstrate who has prominence in the relationship, you always name that person first. This is why you keep running over the name Priscilla and Aquila, the woman first. Now, here's the insight. Listen to me. Lean in now. Listen. That, that, that as I think about this, this is a story about them f- uh, discovering a fellow named Apollos who was a great powerful teacher who had just under- begin to understand Jesus, but his knowledge was still limited. And so they take him to the side and, and they begin to teach him. Look at the teamwork. But Priscilla is first. I suspect that Priscilla had the stronger teaching gift. And Aquila, because he was so strong, so solid in his ego, so solid in his own giftedness, was able to step back and allow Priscilla to take the lead and let her teaching gifts shine. That's what I think is happening in the text. Now, this was only able, this happened only I believe, now I'm thinking about this through 30 years of marital counseling now, uh, because uh, Priscilla, because of the way Priscilla helped Aquila to feel. In other words, he could allow her to shine because when the time came, she knew how to allow him to shine. 
See, 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 together they worked this way, that, that he could practice conceding ground that was rightfully his to elevate her, and she practiced conceding ground that was rightfully hers to elevate him. This is the picture of how God calls men and women to work together. It's unique. Now, I heard a story the other day uh, as I try to bring this to a close. <laughs> it's a funny story. The woman said, giving, premarital, giving marital advice, she said this, listen, in every married relationships, you just got to get this. There's somebody that's right, and then there's the husband. <laughs> so she was teasing, right? She didn't really mean it. And yet she put her finger on something. You see, women, you have a role in helping to drive a new redeemed relationship between you and husband and, and men also. You see, you see, it, it's also your task to make sure that you celebrate the identity of the men that are in your life. It's also your task to make sure that you're nurturing and cultivating the dreams of the men that are in your life. It's also your task to, to make sure that you're reinforcing a no-quit spirit in the, in the lives of the men that are in your life. Now, I can already hear you say it. You can say, I've been doing that all the while. And, and you're thinking about the pain and the abuse and all the stuff that happens at work and that happens uh, uh, at home. And you say, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. But listen, listen. Don't stop doing what God has called both of us to do, men and women. I've seen this more times than I'd like to acknowledge. So often, women are filled with so much anger and hurt from how they've been oppressed that they become the new oppressors in their homes. They become the new oppression when it comes to the people, the, the, the guys in the public square. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to say, in this moment, I want to heal and liberate you so that together, men and women, listen, can be all that God has called us to do. Together, come on now, we rise, divided we fall. Together, men and women, we can make the world better. Divided, the world will collapse in on us. Together, men and women, we can raise up a standard of hope for the next generation. Divided, we'll drive dysfunction from one generation to the next, to the next. Don't allow your past hurt to turn you into a new oppressor. But allow the liberating work of the Holy Spirit call forth a new relationship and both the man and the woman be great witnesses for Jesus. Amen. Would you just put your hand out in front if you would and uh, just join me in this prayer. Well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge, I know there's a lot of ladies listening that's been heard and this last point was a tough one for them. But it's true. You're calling women to not be bound by their pain, but to be liberated and released and healed. But we need the work of your Holy Spirit to do that. Would you do that? I know a lot of guys is kind of thinking, you know, uh, 
this is tough what you've asked of us, given the relationship that we're in, given the circumstances that we're working with the women in our lives in. And yet it is what you've called of them to do, to be witnesses for you, to allow you to fill their lives with your power and your spirit, that they can be a part of the healing in the lives of the women and daughters and granddaughters and colleagues that they love. Would you just pour out your spirit afresh and raise up new witnesses for you, Jesus, all over the world as men and women learn to work together for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, I want to invite you to take an extra step. Uh, there's a connection card attached to the website. If you're inside the app, there's a connection card there. Simply go to the Sunday section and then go to Next Steps. And listen, I'm really talking to Jesus followers today uh, or people who want to be Jesus followers, right? I, I'm saying that God will empower you through his Holy Spirit to do this unique work as men and women in the world together. That starts with the unique work of healing and mutual respect and honor. And if you say, wow, I wish I, I want to lean into that, but you're not a Jesus follower, you ought to just check, you ought to become one now. Just make up your mind that you want Jesus to be Lord and Savior, Redeemer in your life. You want him to release his Holy Spirit to flow through you. Just check that. That's your statement of faith. There's some other options there that you ought to also think through. At the very end, if you're willing to take a step of commitment to really look at your relationship across gender, right? And say, am I doing my part to help um, support and celebrate the other's identity, uh, their capacity to dream, their non-quit, no-quit spirit. Am I doing my part? Can I do more? And if you're willing to lean in a little bit, just check yes on the response to the message. Make sure you're back here next week. I want to take up another subject that's pretty tough inside of homes. It's this whole question of abuse in the family. And I want to hear what God has to say to us. So I'll see you next week. Guess what? God wants to do greater in your life. Well, I hope you were blessed by that message. And if you could think of some guys or some women who need to hear that message, listen, share the link, share the link. Secondly, take a picture of the uh, reflection questions. Uh, one of them has to do with when you think about those areas that I called out as relates to people who have the opposite sex in your life. How, how are you doing with uh, celebrating and encouraging who they are and uh, en encouraging their dreams and helping to work inside of them a no-quit spirit? Uh, and then lastly, is there pain that's making it hard for you to trust the person of the opposite sex in your life? And if so, what is it? See you next week.